Chapter forty two, part three of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, volume four, by Edward Gibbon. Chapter forty two, State of the Barbaric World, part three the son of kobad found his kingdom involved in a war with the successor of constantine and the anxiety of his domestic situation inclined him to grant the suspension of arms which justinian was impatient to purchase chosroes saw the roman ambassadors at his feet he accepted eleven thousand pounds of gold as the price of an endless or indefinite peace some mutual exchanges were regulated the persian assumed the guard of the gates of caucasus and the demolition of dara was suspended on the condition that it should never be made the residence of the general of the east this interval of repose had been solicited and was diligently improved by the ambition of the emperor his african conquests were the first fruits of the persian treaty and the avarice of chosroes was soothed by a large portion of the spoils of carthage which his ambassadors required in a tone of pleasantry and under the colour of friendship but the trophies of belisarius disturbed the slumbers of the great king and he heard with astonishment envy and fear that sicily italy and rome itself had been reduced in three rapid campaigns to the obedience of justinian unpractised in the art of violating treaties he secretly excited his bold and subtle vassal almandar that prince of the saracens who resided at hira had not been included in the general peace and still waged an obscure war against his rival arethas the chief of the tribe of gassan and confederate of the empire the subject of their dispute was an extensive sheep-walk in the desert to the south of palmyra an immemorial tribute for the license of pasture appeared to attest the rights of almandar while the gassanite appealed to the latin name of strata a paved road as an unquestionable evidence of the sovereignty and labours of the romans the two monarchs supported the cause of their respective vassals and the persian arab without expecting the event of a slow and doubtful arbitration enriched his flying camp with the spoil and captives of syria instead of repelling the arms justinian attempted to seduce the fidelity of almandar while he called from the extremities of the earth the nations of ethiopia and scythia to invade the dominions of his rival but the aid of such allies was distant and precarious and the discovery of this hostile correspondence justified the complaints of the goths and armenians who implored almost at the same time the protection of chosroes the descendants of the arsaces who were still numerous in armenia had been provoked to assert the last relics of national freedom and hereditary rank and the ambassadors of vitagis had secretly traversed the empire to expose the instant and almost inevitable danger of the kingdom of italy their representations were uniform weighty and effectual Quote, we stand before your throne the advocates of your interest as well as of our own the ambitious and faithless justinian aspires to be the sole master of the world since the endless peace which betrayed the common freedom of mankind 
that prince your ally in words your enemy in actions has alike insulted his friends and foes and has filled the earth with blood and confusion has he not violated the privileges of armenia the independence of colchos and the wild liberty of the sanian mountains has he not usurped with equal avidity the city of bosphorus on the frozen maotis and the vale of palm trees on the shores of the red sea the moors the vandals the goths have been successively oppressed and each nation has calmly remained the spectator of their neighbor's ruin embrace o king the favorable moment the east is left without defence while the armies of justinian and his renowned general are detained in the distant regions of the west if you hesitate or delay belisarius and his victorious troops will soon return from the tiber to the tigris and persia may enjoy the wretched consolation of being the last devoured by such arguments chosros was easily persuaded to imitate the example which he condemned but the persian ambitious of military fame disdained the inactive warfare of a rival who issued his sanguinary commands from the secure station of the byzantine palace whatever might be the provocations of chosros he abused the confidence of treaties and the just reproaches of dissimulation and falsehood could only be concealed by the lustre of his victories the persian army which had been assembled in the plains of babylon prudently declined the strong cities of mesopotamia and followed the western bank of the euphrates till the small though populous town of dura presumed to arrest the progress of the great king the gates of dura by treachery and surprise were burst open and as soon as chosroes had stained his scimitar with the blood of the inhabitants he dismissed the ambassador of justinian to inform his master in what place he had left the enemy of the romans the conqueror still affected the praise of humanity and justice and as he beheld a noble matron with her infant rudely dragged along the ground he sighed he wept and implored the divine justice to punish the author of these calamities yet the herd of twelve thousand captives was ransomed for two hundred pounds of gold the neighboring bishop of sergiopolis pledged his faith for the payment and in the subsequent year the unfeeling avarice of chosroes exacted the penalty of an obligation which it was generous to contract and impossible to discharge he advanced into the heart of syria but a feeble enemy who vanished at his approach disappointed him of the honor of victory and as he could not hope to establish his dominion the persian king displayed in this inroad the mean and rapacious vices of a robber hierapolis berea or aleppo apamea and chalcis were successively besieged they redeemed their safety by a ransom of gold or silver proportioned to their respective strength and opulence and their new master enforced without observing the terms of capitulation educated in the religion of the magi he exercised without remorse the lucrative trade of sacrilege and after stripping of its gold and gems a piece of the true cross he generously restored the naked relic to the devotion of the christians of apamea no more than fourteen years had elapsed since antioch was ruined by an earthquake but the queen of the east the new theopolis 
had been raised from the ground by the liberality of Justinian, and the increasing greatness of the buildings and the people already erased the memory of this recent disaster. On one side the city was defended by the mountain, on the other by the river Orontes, but the most accessible part was commanded by a superior eminence. The proper remedies were rejected from the despicable fear of discovering its weakness to the enemy, and Germanus, the emperor's nephew, refused to trust his person and dignity within the walls of a besieged city. The people of Antioch had inherited the vain and satirical genius of their ancestors. They were elated by the sudden reinforcement of six thousand soldiers, they disdained the offers of an easy capitulation, and their intemperate clamors insulted from the ramparts the majesty of the great king. Under his eye the Persian myriads mounted with scaling ladders to the assault. The Roman mercenaries fled through the opposite gate of Daphne, and the generous assistance of the youth of Antioch served only to aggravate the miseries of their country. As Chosros, attended by the ambassadors of Justinian, was descending from the mountain, he affected in a plaintive voice to deplore the obstinacy and ruin of that unhappy people. But the slaughter still raged with unrelenting fury, and the city, at the command of a barbarian, was delivered to the flames. The cathedral of Antioch was indeed preserved by the avarice, not the piety, of the conqueror. A more honorable exemption was granted to the church of St. Julian, and the quarter of the town where the ambassadors resided. Some distant streets were saved by the shifting of the wind, and the walls still subsisted to protect, and soon to betray, their new inhabitants. Fanaticism had defaced the ornaments of Daphne, but Chosros breathed a purer air amidst her groves and fountains, and some idolaters in his train might sacrifice with impunity to the nymphs of that elegant retreat. Eighteen miles below Antioch, the river Orontes falls into the Mediterranean. The haughty Persian visited the term of his conquests, and, after bathing alone in the sea, he offered a solemn sacrifice of thanksgiving to the sun, or rather to the creator of the sun, whom the Magi adored. If this act of superstition offended the prejudices of the Syrians, they were pleased by the courteous and even eager attention with which he assisted at the games of the circus, and as Chosros had heard that the blue faction was espoused by the emperor, his peremptory command secured the victory of the green charioteer. From the discipline of his camp the people derived more solid consolation, and they interceded in vain for the life of a soldier who had too faithfully copied the rapine of the just Nushirvan. At length, fatigued, though unsatiated, with the spoil of Syria, he slowly moved to the Euphrates, formed a temporary bridge in the neighborhood of Barbalissus, and defined the space of three days for the entire passage of his numerous host. After his return, he founded, at the distance of one day's journey from the palace of Tessaphon, a new city which perpetuated the joint names of Chosros and of Antioch. The Syrian captives recognized the form and situation of their native abodes. Baths and a stately circus were constructed for their use, and a colony of musicians and charioteers revived in Assyria the pleasures of a Greek capital.
by the munificence of the royal founder a liberal allowance was assigned to those fortunate exiles and they enjoyed the singular privilege of bestowing freedom on the slaves whom they acknowledged as their kinsmen palestine and the holy wealth of jerusalem were the next objects that attracted the ambition or rather the avarice of chosros constantinople and the palace of the caesars no longer appeared impregnable or remote and his aspiring fancy already covered asia minor with the troops and the black sea with the navies of persia these hopes might have been realized if the conqueror of italy had not been seasonably recalled to the defence of the east while chosros pursued his ambitious designs on the coast of the euxine belisarius at the head of an army without pay or discipline encamped beyond the euphrates within six miles of nisibis he meditated by a skilful operation to draw the persians from their impregnable citadel and improving his advantage in the field either to intercept their retreat or perhaps to enter the gates with the flying barbarians he advanced one day's journey on the territories of persia reduced the fortress of cicerone and sent the governor with eight hundred chosen horsemen to serve the emperor in his italian wars he detached arethas and his arabs supported by twelve hundred romans to pass the tigris and to ravage the harvests of assyria a fruitful province long exempt from the calamities of war but the plans of belisarius were disconcerted by the untractable spirit of arethas who neither returned to the camp nor sent any intelligence of his motions the roman general was fixed in anxious expectation to the same spot the time of action elapsed the ardent son of mesopotamia inflamed with fevers the blood of his european soldiers and the stationary troops and officers of syria affected to tremble for the safety of their defenceless cities yet this diversion had already succeeded in forcing chosroes to return with loss and precipitation and if the skill of belisarius had been seconded by discipline and valour his success might have satisfied the sanguine wishes of the public who required at his hands the conquest of Tessaphon and the deliverance of the captives of antioch at the end of the campaign he was recalled to constantinople by an ungrateful court but the dangers of the ensuing spring restored his confidence and command and the hero almost alone was dispatched with the speed of post-horses to repel by his name and presence the invasion of syria he found the roman generals among whom was a nephew of justinian imprisoned by their fears in the fortifications of hierapolis but instead of listening to their timid counsels belisarius commanded them to follow him to europus where he had resolved to collect his forces and to execute whatever god should inspire him to achieve against the enemy his firm attitude on the banks of the euphrates restrained chosros from advancing toward palestine and he received with art and dignity the ambassadors or rather spies of the persian monarch the plain between hierapolis and the river was covered with the squadrons of cavalry six thousand hunters tall and robust who pursued their game without the apprehension of an enemy on the opposite bank the ambassadors descried a thousand armenian horse who appeared to guard the passage of the euphrates 
the tent of Belisarius was of the coarsest linen, the simple equipage of a warrior who disdained the luxury of the East. Around his tent the nations who marched under his standard were arranged with skilful confusion. The Thracians and Illyrians were posted in the front, the Heruli and Goths in the centre, the prospect was closed by the Moors and Vandals, and their loose array seemed to multiply their numbers. Their dress was light and active. One soldier carried a whip, another a sword, a third a bow, a fourth perhaps a battle-axe, and the whole picture exhibited the intrepidity of the troops and the vigilance of the general. Chosros was deluded by the address and awed by the genius of the lieutenant of Justinian conscious of the merit and ignorant of the force of his antagonist he dreaded a decisive battle in a distant country from whence not a persian might return to relate the melancholy tale the great king hastened to repass the euphrates and belisarius pressed his retreat by affecting to oppose a measure so salutary to the empire and which could scarcely have been prevented by an army of a hundred thousand men envy might suggest to ignorance and pride that the public enemy had been suffered to escape but the african and gothic triumphs are less glorious than this safe and bloodless victory in which neither fortune nor the valour of the soldiers can subtract any part of the general's renown the second removal of belisarius from the persian to the italian war revealed the extent of his personal merit which had corrected or supplied the want of discipline and courage. Fifteen generals, without concert or skill, led through the mountains of Armenia an army of thirty thousand Romans, inattentive to their signals, their ranks, and their ensigns. Four thousand Persians, entrenched in the camp of Dubis, vanquished, almost without a combat, this disorderly multitude. Their useless arms were scattered along the road, and their horses sunk under the fatigue of their rapid flight. But the Arabs of the Roman party prevailed over their brethren. The Armenians returned to their allegiance. The cities of Dara and Edessa resisted a sudden assault and a regular siege, and the calamities of war were suspended by those of pestilence. A tacit or formal agreement between the two sovereigns protected the tranquillity of the eastern frontier, and the arms of Chosros were confined to the Colchian or Lazic War, which has been too minutely described by the historians of the times. The extreme length of the Euxine Sea from Constantinople to the mouth of the Phasis may be computed as a voyage of nine days and a measure of seven hundred miles. From the Iberian Caucasus, the most lofty and craggy mountains of Asia, that river descends with such oblique vehemence that in a short space it is traversed by one hundred and twenty bridges. Nor does the stream become placid and navigable until it reaches the town of Sarapana, five days' journey from the Cyrus, which flows from the same hills but in a contrary direction to the Caspian Lake. The proximity of these rivers has suggested the practice, or at least the idea, of wafting the precious merchandise of India down the Oxus, over the Caspian, up the Cyrus, and with the current of the Phasis into the Euxine and Mediterranean seas. As it successively collects the streams of the plain of Colchos, 
the fasces moves with diminished speed though accumulated weight at the mouth it is sixty fathom deep and half a league broad but a small woody island is interposed in the midst of the channel the water so soon as it has deposited an earthly or metallic sediment floats on the surface of the waves and is no longer susceptible of corruption in a course of one hundred miles forty of which are navigable to large vessels the fasces divides the celebrated region of colchos or mingrelia which on three sides is fortified by the iberian and armenian mountains and whose maritime coast extends about two hundred miles from the neighbourhood of trebizond to dioscurias and the confines of circassia both the soil and climate are relaxed by excessive moisture twenty-eight rivers besides the fasces and his dependent streams convey their waters to the sea and the hollowness of the ground appears to indicate the subterraneous channels between the euxine and the caspian in the fields where wheat or barley is sown the earth is too soft to sustain the action of the plough but the gom a small grain not unlike the millet or coriander seed supplies the ordinary food of the people and the use of bread is confined to the prince and his nobles yet the vintage is more plentiful than the harvest and the bulk of the stems as well as the quantity of the wine display the unassisted powers of nature the same powers continually tend to overshadow the face of the country with thick forests the timber of the hills and the flax of the plains contribute to the abundance of naval stores the wild and tame animals the horse the ox and the hog are remarkably prolific and the name of the pheasant is expressive of his native habitation on the banks of the phasis the gold mines to the south of trebizond which are still worked with sufficient profit were a subject of national dispute between justinian and chosroes and it is not unreasonable to believe that a vein of precious metal may be equally diffused through the circle of the hills although these secret treasures are neglected by the laziness or concealed by the prudence of the mingrelians the waters impregnated with particles of gold are carefully strained through sheepskins or fleeces but this expedient the groundwork perhaps of a marvellous fable affords a faint image of the wealth extracted from a virgin earth by the power and industry of ancient kings their silver palaces and golden chambers surpass our belief but the fame of their riches is said to have excited the enterprising avarice of the argonauts tradition has affirmed with some colour of reason that egypt planted on the phasis a learned and polite colony which manufactured linen built navies and invented geographical maps the ingenuity of the moderns has peopled with flourishing cities and nations the isthmus between the euxine and the caspian and a lively writer observing the resemblance of climate and in his apprehension of trade has not hesitated to pronounce colchos the holland of antiquity but the riches of colchos shine only through the darkness of conjecture or tradition and its genuine history presents a uniform scene of rudeness and poverty if one hundred and thirty languages were spoken in the market of dioscurias 
they were the imperfect idioms of so many savage tribes or families sequestered from each other in the valleys of mount caucasus and their separation which diminished the importance must have multiplied the number of their rustic capitals in the present state of mingrelia a village is an assemblage of huts within a wooden fence the fortresses are seated in the depths of forests the princely town of sita or Cotatis, consists of two hundred houses and a stone edifice appertains only to the magnificence of kings twelve ships from constantinople and about sixty barks laden with fruits of industry annually cast anchor on the coast and the list of colchian exports is much increased since the natives had only slaves and hides to offer in exchange for the corn and salt which they purchased from the subjects of justinian not a vestige can be found of the art the knowledge or the navigation of the ancient colchians few greeks desired or dared to pursue the footsteps of the argonauts and even the marks of an egyptian colony are lost on a nearer approach the rite of circumcision is practised only by the mahometans of the euxine and the curled hair and swarthy complexion of africa no longer disfigure the most perfect of the human race it is in the adjacent climates of georgia mingrelia and circassia that nature has placed at least to our eyes the model of beauty in the shape of the limbs the colour of the skin the symmetry of the features and the expression of the countenance according to the destination of the two sexes the men seemed formed for action the women for love and the perpetual supply of females from mount caucasus has purified the blood and improved the breed of the southern nations of asia the proper district of mingrelia a portion only of the ancient colchos has long sustained an exportation of twelve thousand slaves the number of prisoners or criminals would be inadequate to the annual demand but the common people are in a state of servitude to their lords the exercise of fraud or rapine is unpunished in a lawless community and the market is continually replenished by the abuse of civil and paternal authority such a trade which reduces the human species to the level of cattle may tend to encourage marriage and population since the multitude of children enriches their sordid and inhuman parent but this source of impure wealth must inevitably poison the national manners obliterate the sense of honour and virtue and almost extinguish the instincts of nature the christians of georgia and mingrelia are the most dissolute of mankind and their children who in a tender age are sold into foreign slavery have already learned to imitate the rapine of the father and the prostitution of the mother yet amidst the rudest ignorance the untaught natives discover a singular dexterity both of mind and hand and although the want of union and discipline exposes them to their more powerful neighbours a bold and intrepid spirit has animated the colchians of every age in the host of xerxes they served on foot and their arms were a dagger or a javelin a wooden cask and a buckler of raw hides but in their own country the use of cavalry has more generally prevailed the meanest of the peasants disdained to walk the marital nobles are possessed perhaps of two hundred horses 
and above five thousand are numbered in the train of the prince of mingrelia the colchian government has been always a pure and hereditary kingdom and the authority of the sovereign is only restrained by the turbulence of his subjects whenever they are obedient he would lead a numerous army into the field but some faith is requisite to believe that the single tribe of the swanians is composed of two hundred thousand soldiers or that the population of mingrelia now amounts to four millions of inhabitants End of chapter 42, part 3